All right, a couple announcements before we dive into the message. You came in and got a, a bulletin. Uh, one of the things out in the foyer that you can pick up if you don't have a Bible reading plan, we've, we start um, this next week, our um, third quarter Bible reading plan. We'll be going through the book of Acts. So it starts, I believe, the July 4th will be the very first reading, so you can pick it up. Or you can go online and actually um, register so that they're sent to your phone or sent through email to you every day with that daily reading. It's a chunk of Scripture to read, meditate on, to ask God to speak to you through that passage. Really great thing thing to do. Secondly, there's two opportunities for our church to do some outreach this summer. Great opportunities in our community. Number one is Habitat for Humanity is building a home for a, for a family in Colorado Springs, and they've invited us to help with the project. Now, they, there's work going on almost every week at this location, so we've chosen two dates, and they're in your bulletin, when, when we want to help out at Habitat for Humanity. And you don't have to have construction skills to help. Sometimes it's you're, you're hauling stuff. Sometimes you're just helping put up stuff. We don't know what the jobs are for that day. It could be put putting shingles on the house. It could be framing. It could be painting. It could be cleaning. I don't know. But if you've got time and the energy and the love for people that you've never met before and to help them get into their first home, um, sign up for Habitat for Humanity. And then the other project is something we are hosting right here, August 6th. It's called the Backpack Bash. Colorado Springs, there are locations that are having these um, backpack bashes where we stuff backpacks full of school supplies so that the kids have everything they need for their um, age level at school. And there is one being held on the south end of Colorado Springs, right on our campus, August 6th. Uh, starts in the morning, goes in the early afternoon. There'll be all kinds of tables and booths set up out here, some from our church and the ministries we offer, some from the community and services that are being offered to families. Uh, we'll have food that will be given to all the families that they can take with them from our food pantry. So uh, what we need is about 50 volunteers for each of the two shifts. First one from 8.30 to 11.30, second shift from 11 to 2. They overlap for 30 minutes to pass information to each other. But I hope that you'll make a plan to be here that day. This is our way of saying to this community, we love you guys, we love your families, and Pikesview Christian Church is here to make life better for you. So you can go online. When you go to the Cause I Love You website, if you go to this, the Backpack Bash, there's a list of all the different locations. Make sure you go all the way to the one on the bottom. That's, that's the one at Pikes Peak Christian Church. It's in Widefield. And then you click on which hour you want to do, the, the morning or the afternoon shift. Okay? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Now we're going to do this. We're going to go back into God's Word. I'm going to give you a list of names, and I want you to tell me uh, or think about what do they have in common, okay? Here's the names. Roseanne Barr, Charlie Sheen, Megan Fox, Don Imus, Jimmy the Greek, Alec Baldwin, Paula Dean, Nick Cannon, Megan Kelly. They, they all lost jobs because of things they said. They let words come out of their mouth, wrong words, at the wrong time, cost them their job. Words are so powerful. We, we could add in, in our list uh, a very recent president who was very well known for early morning tweets that really shook up the world. It possibly could have been reelected had he, had he put a little more restraint upon what came out of his mouth. Our words have power to sway people in a good direction or a bad direction. It's, it's very, very powerful. Now, if you've missed the, the first couple of weeks of June, we started in the book of Proverbs. Let me just give you a little background. Solomon followed David as king of Israel. God came to him and says, uh, what is your one request? What is the thing that you would want most? And most people would ask for power, would ask for fame, would ask for riches. But Solomon asked for wisdom. 
He basically said, I'm like a kid. I have no clue how to do this king thing, God, and I need your help. I need wisdom from you. And God poured wisdom into his heart and into his head, and people came from miles around to hear the Proverbs that Solomon would speak. Many of those Proverbs are recorded in the Bible in the book called Proverbs. They're not all written by Solomon, but most of them are. And they cover topics like friendship, work, temptation, um, character, but there's no topic that's addressed more than the one we're going to talk about today, our speech our lips, our mouth, our voice, the words that come out of our mouths. And here's a, here's a great verse. It's kind of a theme verse. Ch- chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Fruit. It's, it's looking at your mouth like a tree. Now, what comes out of it is fruit. Now, when we think of fruit... I think of cherries and strawberries and apples and grapes, very desirable things. But did you know that there's also some very undesirable fruit? When I was in Thailand on my first mission trip there, I stayed at a hotel that had a picture of a fruit on a big poster in the lobby and then a red circle around it with a line slashing right through it. And I thought, what in the world did that fruit do to get blacklisted? Well, I asked the missionary that we were serving with, I said, what's the deal with this thing? Why is this fruit hated? He says, oh, that's the durian, and it stinks. It is so bad that hotels will not allow you to bring them into the hotel. Some mass transits will not allow you to bring them with them as well because the, the aroma actually seeps into the fabric, and it takes days for it to um, leave, leave the area. And so you lose business by, by the durian. Well, what's, what's so bad about it? How, how, how come people would want this thing? Well, on the positive side, it's this prickly kind of green fruit, tastes creamy like a silky sweet almond paste, like a custard, they say. But you have to get past the smell. It, it is so bad that the smell is compared to things like this, Limburger cheese, gym socks, used surgical swabs, and hot New York summer garbage. Yum, yum, yum. Right? And yet, yet, yet it's a million-dollar business selling durian. Just don't bring it close to me. I don't want to smell that thing. I want to ask you, is the fruit that comes out of your mouth sweet like summer strawberries, or is it like the durian? Filthy, smelly gym socks. It says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, Proverbs 10, 20. It's like a treasure. So your, your words are either toxic or treasure. They're bringing death and destruction or they're contributing to life. And which is it? These, these two things called lips are so powerful, so powerful that words can do great things for people but also can do great harm for people. So make your words precious, not poisonous. I've scoured through all these different proverbs that speak of the mouth and the lips and the voice and the words we speak. And really it comes down to asking ourselves some really important questions that I think would orient us in a way that, that our speech could be cleaned up. And first is asking our, ourselves this question, is what I'm saying necessary? Have you ever been around someone that just talks so much you just wish they would just be quiet? Like, could you just zip it? You just talk, 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 and we just tune out because you just never stop talking. Sometimes we say words that just really aren't necessary. The ones that are necessary, the ones that we love, we hold on to and we treasure those words. 
But, but if we let something out in the course of those many words that hurt someone, they hold on to that too. I know so many people, in fact, I can look back at my life, at the hurtful things. It's like you never forget them. You think of an athlete who gets motivated by some teacher or coach who said, you'll never amount to anything. And that kid always says, like, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to prove him wrong. And they grow up and they, be a, and they become a star athlete because they're motivated by those negative words. But I'll tell you this, whenever I hear stories like that, that person still, even, even with their success, has never forgotten those negative words. Amen. It's like their success didn't erase them. It didn't, it's like, it's like Aaron Rodgers when he was drafted by the, by the Packers, dropped way down in the draft and it's always like been a chip on his shoulder. And it still is a chip on his shoulder. We just don't get rid of those hurtful words. But the good words, how many of you have a, a, a note from someone, a, a handwritten letter that you've actually placed somewhere in your house or put on your refrigerator, tucked in your Bible, you kept because that was, that was treasure. I've got, I've got a file folder with, with things like that. We are more likely to speak well when we learn to hold our tongues. When things bubble up to the surface and we just feel like, I just got to say something. I just got to say it. That's when we get into trouble. When words are many, it says transgression is not lacking. The more you talk, the greater opportunity to say something that's foolish or hurtful. And you know, the, the, the time when we are most likely to say something is when we're upset. Someone cuts you off quickly in traffic. And all of a sudden, you blurt something out of your mouth. Someone, someone uh, makes a, a ref makes a bad call in a game. And, and you see like, hey, that, that wasn't right. And now my team's going to lose or my kid suffers for it. And so you're the, you're the parent or the fan that has to yell something out. You know, you yell at the ref and you, you make your feelings known. You can't keep it inside because you're angry. But when you're angry, you often say stupid things. You say rash things. Rash things are are impulsive. It says, there is, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Mm. Poking, jabbing, prodding, hurting. Rash means to be impulsive, careless, reckless, reactionary. There was a time in high school when our high school basketball team, which was really good my freshman year, I didn't play on the varsity, but our varsity team was very good. Two six foot seven guys that held down the middle and they just clobbered all their opponents. One night they were beating a, a one of our opponents, Beloit Turner High School, and we were getting up in the 90s and the fans were, were just cheering, 100, 100, 100. We wanted to hit that. For a high school team to score 100 points is a pretty rare thing. But they hit 100 and the place went ballistic. And on the, the, the walk home from the game, it was dark. I walked this dark path from the high school down uh, onto a dark road. I'm heading home and this car passes by me and it's, it's filled with fans from the other team. And they come by, and they're, they're yelling and screaming. They come by me, and some guy leans his head out there, gives me the finger, and says, blank you, buddy. And I said, same to you. Oh, the car screeched to a stop, went in reverse, came toward me. A big guy got out of the back seat, the guy who had waved at me. He came walking down the sidewalk, marching straight toward me. Well, I was young freshman. I was, I was either incredibly tough or just my legs were paralyzed, I couldn't run, but I stood there while he came and then he stood in front of me and I looked up at him and, uh, and he started making comments about that, that I have no right to say something back to him and he greeted me with the right hook. And then my feet started to work and I took off running home from that point on as quick as I could get home. But see, it's so easy just to say something because it just feels good at the moment. But that's when we say like the, the most hurtful, 
careless, harmful things. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Wow, wow, wow. So ask yourself, when you're ready to say something, do I really need to say that? I know it feels good, but do I really need to say that? I would be much better if I would just zip it for right now. Again, Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens wide his mouth comes to ruin. And you know what, what helps you to, to uh, hold your tongue? Open your ears. If we would just stop to listen more, soak in what other people are saying, evaluate whether it's worth a response or not, we would be much better off. Jesus did that all the time. Sometimes Jesus just sat silently while people attacked him. He's just listening, listening. Is it worth a response? Nope, not going to respond to that one. Going to respond very shortly to that one. Now, he's not reactionary to what other people are saying. One summer uh, when I was in college, I was, was an intern in Lewistown, Montana. And there was a man and an older woman. They were in their 80s. Florence and Gordon were their names. And I got to stay in their house. And Florence was a, was a pretty um, vocal woman. And she was always yelling at her husband, but the reason she was always raising her voice was because he was mostly deaf. He was a farmer, worked on uh, road tractors and stuff his whole life, and by the time he got in his 80s, he was almost totally deaf. So he had these two hearing aids in his ears, and um, so his his favorite thing to say was, what? So then Florence would raise her voice even louder. I said, and she would repeat it. So the house was always very loud when she talked, very quiet when he just listened. Well, I was surprised when the church elected him to be an elder. I thought, why are, you, why are you having this guy be an elder? I know he's a good man, but he doesn't say much, which made him a great elder. Because what would happen is in, during elders' meetings is they'd be debating some subject, and, and Gordon would be over here not saying a word, just listening. And then they would pause. Someone had the wisdom to pause and say, well, Gordon, what do you think? And when he spoke, it was like silver. Few words, but very good, wise words. Are you that kind of a person? Are you the person that has few words, but precious words? Or are you just the person that has many words? Ask yourself, is it really necessary? The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Stop and think. Is it worth saying? Abraham Lincoln said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Love that, love that. He's just paraphrasing Proverbs 17, 28, which says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. I mean, if you're not talking, the less opportunity is to sin and look foolish. It's the guy that keeps talking, 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 who eventually stumbles and people go, that guy, you know, I know he had some good things to say, but all the bad things he said just kind of took away from all the wisdom he had to say. Uh, Ponder, is it necessary Should I say what I'm about to say? Secondly, is what I'm saying true? Is it true? God is truth and therefore always speaks the truth. And if we belong to him, we should always tell the truth. Proverbs 8.8 says, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. Now, it would seem obvious. We tell our our children, you know, tell me the truth. But we live in a culture that's so filled right now with with bloated uh, profiles on Facebook and dating sites, with people who make promises that they break, with scams. I mean, so many things going on that, that, that uh, promote lies. When the Bible's not kind toward those who lie. I mean, there's a lot of stories in Scripture of people who lied and got themselves in deep trouble. Jacob, for example. Jacob received his name, Jacob, because it means in Hebrew, the deceiver. 
And he grew up deceiving his brother and deceiving his father. And so when he goes off and lives with a man named Laban, he likes his daughter, Rachel, wants to marry her. So he works seven years to earn the right to marry Rachel. But Laban then deceives him. He, he helps Jacob get drunk on the night of his wedding, goes into his tent. He brings his daughter to him, but it's not Rachel. It's the other daughter, the one that was not likely to get married, Leah, and, and she lays down next to Jacob. They consummate the marriage. He wakes up the next morning, and it's not Rachel in bed with him. It's the other woman. He has to work seven more years now to earn the right to marry Rachel. In the New Testament, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They sell, sell a piece of property, and they try to act like Barnabas, who took all the proceeds and gave it to the church. But this time, they actually kept money back for themselves and gave some of the proceeds to the church. And receive praise for being so generous. And then Peter confronts them and says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit and allowed Satan to so fill your heart? And both he and his wife were struck dead by the Lord that day. Now you may think, wow, that's, that's serious consequences for lying. But you know, if you get to the book of Revelation, the very last chapter, one of the very last paragraphs of the book of Revelation says, outside of the gates of heaven will be the evildoers, the idolaters, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and the liars, the liars. God, God takes this very seriously because Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And so when we speak deceitfulness, we are speaking a second language that is the devil's language, not the father's language. I don't want to speak the devil's language. I don't want to be associated with him in any way. That's why truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is for but a moment. You know what's scary today is it's hard to, to tell who's telling the truth anymore. You know, we have so much fake news, so much spin, so many scams. I mean, I, I by nature like to trust people. And so when someone's trying to sell me something or tell me something, I tend to believe them. I mean, it's, you can get taken advantage of like that. You can be a person in your house and someone calls up and says, hey, there's a problem with your, with your banking situation. If you give me your number, I can fix it for you. And you go, oh, thank you for helping out. And then that person drains your bank account. I mean, that's happening all across the country. Yesterday, I was driving back from our family reunion coming across Kansas, the beautiful flatlands of Kansas, <laughs> listening to a podcast about a scammer, a guy named Gilbert Shickley. He was an Israeli man who impersonated other uh, people, including a French leader, and was able to scam people out of tens of millions of dollars. Even some very well-known corporations fell to his ploys. And he said, I'm not doing this to get rich. I'm, I'm doing it because it's a game. And I'm showing it can be done. In 2020, he actually got put into prison for his scamming. But, uh, but here I'm, I'm listening to this. I pause it to go put gas in, my, in our vehicle, and while I'm putting gas in the vehicle, this car pulls up behind me, and there's two Middle Eastern men in this car, and, one, and they, they get my attention, so I walk over, I says, what do you need? And the man in the passenger seat takes the ring off his finger and says, I've lost my wallet, I have no money to get gas, will you take this ring in exchange for, for gas? And he hands me the ring, I look at it, it's gold color, I doubt if it's gold. I look at it, I says, I don't want this, this ring, so I give it back to him. I go back and I finish pumping the gas in my car. I go inside to use the restroom and then I tell Julie, I said, there's these guys out there. They say they need gas. I don't know if they're true or not. She tells the, the clerk, the clerk goes running out the door, hollers at those guys, they spin off. He says, we've been trying to catch those guys for weeks. They're scammers. They're scammers. It's so hard in our culture because, because lying is seen as a worthwhile occupation. 
It's a worthwhile occupation for many people today. It says in Proverbs 24, 26, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Sometimes speaking the truth means you don't tell all the truth. Now, before you get on me for this, dishonesty is deception. But telling the truth does not mean you spill the beans on everything. Let me give you an example. If a husband and wife are dealing with a very sensitive marriage issue and they want to tell their kids that mom and dad have a problem, that's all they need to tell their kids. That's not misleading. That's true. Do they have to tell them that mom or dad had an affair or that, or that one of them racked up $50,000 in credit card debt and now they're going to have to sell the house? Do you have to tell all the details? No, because they might not be in a position to handle that information. Sometimes an employee is let go of an organization. People go, what's all the, what's all the backstory to it? It's none of your business. You just need to know that person's looking for a job and needs your prayers. So, so honesty is telling what is needed at the time. Sometimes it's just general information. Sometimes speaking the truth, though, means you got to say something. You can't be silent. See, sometimes God will prompt you to speak into someone else's life, and some of us who don't like conflict may not want to do that, but God says the most loving thing to do is to confront that issue. It says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So you're going to be liked much more if you tell someone how great they are, how wonderful they are, how proud you are of them, and, and that's easy to do, to sit down with someone and say, hey, you're doing something that's not really good. And, and you're doing something that's destroying your relationship with your kids. Or this is, this, is, this, is what it's, this is what your behavior is doing to your marriage. And that person may not respond well. It's a hard thing to rebuke someone. But, but you're leading someone toward the path of life. That's why it's good. Sometimes we need to speak the hard thing because it's, it's, it's the best thing to take, to, to say. The Bible says, though, when you speak the truth, do it in love. Do it in love. We don't do it from a hard heart, a harsh heart, a vengeful heart. We do it because we love that person. That's why this third question is important. Is what I'm saying kind? Is it gracious? The Bible says the mouth of the righteous is like a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. It's like a bubbling fountain. It's good. It's true. It's, it helps someone. It, it's wonderful. The mouth of the wicked, though, is, is a shield for the violence, they, they wish they could commit, so they do it verbally rather than physically. Some people are very quick to criticize others, not because they want to help them, but because they want to hurt them. They want to reduce them. But we speak the truth to speak life into people. Gracious words, it says, are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Then a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Think about that. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Are your words gentle or harsh? We've gotten to be a culture that's very harsh with their language. We need to recapture this virtue of gentleness. Jesus was a gentle man in the truest sense of the word. And yet in our culture, it seems like gentleness is, is a thing of the past. Like, we don't need gentle people anymore. We need tough Christians. We need ones that will speak the truth and speak it hard and, and bruise people if need be. And there's a place that, that, like I said, where you rebuke people, but it has to come from the heart of love. It has to come from a place of grace. Jesus knew how to speak to people about the sin in their lives. And those who were very stubborn and resistant, he had some very hard words to say. But he was gracious. I was, I was shocked, and I went to a men's retreat once. It wasn't with this church. It was with another church. And the leaders got up on the last day with a group of men. And all of a sudden, they, just, they were cussing like sailors. And I thought, this is really weird. I'm not used to being in a group of Christian men with so much vulgarity. 
And they wanted to give the impression of, we are real men here. In this place, real men cuss when it's appropriate. When is vulgarity appropriate? I grew up in a home like that. I had a sister who had a really colorful mouth. And what I noticed was she had a limited vocabulary. So when she wanted to describe something, you could just throw a cuss word in there. Everything is this. Everything is that. And, uh, and I just came to the conclusion that, that, that cursing is a frustrated mind with a limited vocabulary. As someone who's got, built up all this, all this frustration, doesn't know what to say, so to F this or SH that or B this, whatever it is, whatever your, their favorite word is, they just throw it in. It's amazing on TV shows now. I'll go on like Amazon or Hulu to watch a show and it says, I can't, I can't get past how vulgar people talk. I mean, the acting is good and the script is good, but why do they keep having to throw that stuff in there all the time? It's so much in our culture. But is our, is our speech kind? Is it kind? The tongue of the wise brings healing. I like to think of our words kind of like the words you'd expect of a doctor who comes to tell you about your condition. How do you want that doctor to speak to you? That's how we should speak. You want the doctor to get down on a chair across from you, look you in the eye and says, hey, let's have a serious conversation about this issue that, that could ruin your life. Well, let me share with you what's going on. Let me tell you about the test results. You, want, you don't want a doctor to barge in the room and says, all right, lay off the, lay off the, the biscuits and gravy. Come on. You know, you want someone with gentleness. We just speak with kindness. Is what I'm saying kind? Is what I'm saying helpful? Helpful. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Deep waters is where you, where you drink deeply. It's refreshing, a babbling brook. I mean, it's beautiful. It's fresh. Our words are like that. We can infuse life into someone or death into someone through the words we speak. We can say something just so small in someone's life, and they remember that forever. They treasure that statement. I had coaches in Little League. I had um, coaches in my church, older, older um, youth sponsors. I had teachers in my school who built me up when I, when I was feeling down. When I had a low self-esteem, it was those people who came around and, and affirmed things about me, and that's what carried me through school and gave me some confidence. But also the things when people tell you that you're no good, that you're worthless, that you're a piece of junk, you remember those things too. You wish you could forget them, but they stay with you. Our words must be helpful. When I was um, a children's pastor, I, I love speaking into the lives of kids and encouraging them and telling them uh, what God thinks of them, who God made them to be. And I'd, I'd never know what would happen to these kids years later, hoping that maybe these planted some good seeds in their life. And this past Easter, I got an email from a girl. Actually, it was a, it was a messenger post on, on Facebook that came privately to me on Easter Day. And it was so beautiful, uh, it probably made my, made my year. Because this girl, uh, I baptized when she was like third or fourth grade. And Julie and I became very good friends with her parents. In fact, her parents will be out here um, in two weeks. This girl uh, grew up, went off to college, went through a very bad breakup with her boyfriend. She ended up um, hooking up with another woman that was 10 years older than her. They moved in together. Um, she lived a lesbian lifestyle for about five or six years. And then one day her parents told us that she was pregnant. And we said, well, what happened? How, could, how did she get pregnant? And she said, well, she started kind of living both lives, and she got pregnant. I said, well, what is she going to do? She says, well, 
I think she's going to keep the baby, and they're talking about getting married. Well, they got married, and this past year, they had their third son. He was Down syndrome, and this girl was so blessed. She would post on Facebook that she was one of the the few privileged mothers who got to bring into this world a Down syndrome child, has some beautiful pictures of her and her little boy and all the things he's gone through in his early development over this past year. She's been posting scripture on Facebook. Her and her husband are now back in church. Just beautiful to see the change in her life. And then on um, Easter morning, I got this message from her. She says, ever since I started to read the Bible again, thanks, pandemic, (laughs) I have run across a lot of verses that inspired a lot of our worship songs sung in Kids' Kingdom. That was the children's church group in our church that she participated in. It gave me such a comforting and familiar feeling in a time when the world started to feel completely upside down, and honestly, it still does. And my anxiety was at an all-time high. The music and memories are so very treasured in my heart, and I just want to thank you for being my pastor growing up. Thank you for helping me love Jesus so much that I chose to get baptized. All this to say, your children's ministry lives on in my heart and is currently helping guide my decisions and my conversations I'm having with my own children. God's love is amazing, and I want to get better at sharing it with others, especially with my boys while they are still young. Thank you for being a guiding light in my life as a child and now as a mother. Much love to you, Pastor. Happy Easter. I mean, that made my day, my year, knowing that the words that you speak, they stick, and they can make an eternal difference in someone's lives. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. Then it says in Proverbs, again, the lips of the righteous feed many. Are your words feeding people? Are they they nurturing people, nourishing people? Are they good fruit for people to eat? See, one of the most powerful ways of helping others with your voice is to speak up for those who maybe haven't heard how important they are, how loved they are. Or maybe speaking up for those who don't have a voice. Proverbs 31.8 says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. I am grateful that through the course of our American history, there were, there were individuals who went against the culture and spoke up for the rights of African-American slaves and said, they're not property, they're human beings. I'm grateful for those that did that. I'm grateful that those who said women should be treated equal with men. They're made equal in the eyes of God. Let's treat them like that. I'm grateful that those who had the courage to speak up. I'm grateful that those who spoke up for the lives of the unborn children who don't have a voice. Mothers do have rights, but those rights don't trump a baby's rights. And it doesn't do any good for us to dehumanize slaves or women or unborn children to make hurting them legal. I'm grateful that Roe v. Wade was overturned, but there's a lot of work before us as a church to speak one-on-one, to have private conversations so that all people are valued as God's creation. Is what I'm saying helpful? And finally, is what I'm saying slanderous? Is what I'm saying slanderous? Did you guys pay attention at all to the Johnny Depp case? I mean, kind of weird thing, but Johnny Depp was suing his ex-wife, Amber Heard, because of slanderous comments she made and actually printed in the press, accusing him of being a wife beater, being an abusive husband. So he actually took her to court and won a judgment of about $10 million. She also won $2 million, not from him, but from his lawyer, who, who she charged him with defamation against her. See, what is slander? Slander is a false statement, usually made orally, which defames another person and injures their reputation. And Proverbs has a lot to say about it. It says, whoever utters slander is a fool. Is a fool. 
Now, we don't ever use the word slander saying like, hey, I've got some slander to share with you. We don't introduce things like that. But here's what we often do within a church. We get someone in a closed setting, maybe it's over coffee or in our office and say, come here. Did you know? Have you heard? Can you believe that? What do you think about? And the motive isn't to help someone. The motive is just kind of muddy the waters. Let's stir this thing up. Because somehow it feels good to be the one that that has that information that can get a charge out of someone else, get a reaction out of someone else, can stir up someone else's emotions. See, slander can be a very, very dangerous thing. Closely related to the word slander is gossip. And see, gossip can be something that's even true. It's just not yours to share. It's information that may be true, but, but it was given to you maybe in confidence or maybe you just overheard, but it's not your right to share that with someone else. Sometimes people come to us in confidence and share a bit of news that's very personal, very deep to them, and they assume that you're going to hold it in confidence. So you may be the kind of person that says, I'm not going to tell anybody except that one person that I trust. And you share with that one person that you trust, and they share that with the one person they trust, who then shares it with their one person who they trust, and pretty soon it's out among a lot of people because it leaks out. The, the ESV, the version that I preach from, doesn't use the word gossip at all in Proverbs. Instead, it uses the word whisperer. It says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. If someone ever introduces a phrase to you saying, don't tell anyone else, but you're probably about ready to hear some gossip. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. This often happens in churches, unfortunately, and it's, and it's covered with this veneer of, I'm just concerned about so-and-so, and did you know this about them and, and all the details, and, and we need to be praying for them. And what usually happens is they never do pray. It's never said like, okay, let's stop right now and pray for that couple. It's just left, and we need to pray as if, I just shared a bunch of gossip with you, and let's make it sound good by saying we're going to pray about it, Okay but we really don't. Because it's hard to really pray for someone and even want to know the details. Like, I don't need to know the details to pray for them. I don't even want to know those details. I don't want them in my head. I don't want to think of that person like that. But if someone has a marriage issue, all I need to know is they have a marriage issue. I'm going to pray for them. I don't need to know that. You know, he slept with his secretary five times, and then one time they went off to Tahiti when he was supposed to be. I don't need to know that. I don't need to know those details. I just need to know. God wants that marriage saved. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Do you know that in James 3, it actually says that this kind of conversation is not from above but from below, meaning it's demonic. It's, it's of the realm of Satan. And by the way, do you know the Greek word for slander is diabolos? Hmm. Do you know that diabolos is a name for Satan? That slander and Satan go together. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the slanderer. That when we slander, we're linking our arms with him. I hope you're not this person, but all of us tend to know somebody who's the Gladys Kravitz in our life. You guys remember her? 
And I grew up, I, I love this show, Bewitched, because, well, Samantha Stevens was, was pretty cute. But her husband had this cool name, Darren. Yeah, yeah. The only other Darren I knew existed was the guy in Bewitched. But Gladys was this nosy neighbor that's always peering through the curtain, trying to see what's going on over there, jumping to conclusions, making assumptions, trying to figure them out. It's like she has no life of her own. And if you know someone like that, Proverbs says, stay away from that person. They're causing division and destruction. I remember a small group used to meet here at our church years ago. Uh, a part-time staff member was part of that small group. And one day he came in and I said, how was your small group last night? He said, oh, we didn't even get to our Bible study because we got talking about the elders. I said, really? He says, our group has never talked about the elders. What did you guys talk about? Well, we talked about some of the decisions that have come up and some people didn't like this or that about it and some people wondered about this and wondered what their motives were. Well, within the next year, that whole group left the church because slander and gossip are seeds for division. They do not build unity in relationships. It actually separates. Proverbs says it separates close friends. I love what Paul wrote to Titus. Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. David knew the power of words, and, and he wrote this prayer in Psalms, which I think is a tremendous prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. God, I, I want good stuff to come out of it. That's why James writes in the third chapter of James and says, guys, think about it. A tree either produces good fruit or bad fruit. A stream either has fresh water or polluted water. It can't do both. Think about it. If it's 90% pure and 10% garbage... It's polluted, right? It, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, how much is it, if it's got any of it, it pollutes it. And here's a picture. Maybe this vivid picture will help us to think of our mouth. Some of us are trash talkers. What comes out is garbage. And the people around us smell that and they see that and they go, ugh. I, I feel worse when I'm around that person and the, 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 the words they use and how they speak. But don't you want to be a person like this? Fresh, life-giving bubbly, refreshing, healthy. How do you get to that place? In fact, how do you clean up the pollution in your mouth? How do you filter out all the stuff? Because a lot of us have grown up in cultures where my family's have been like this, Pastor. I was in the military and they talk like this. Or how do I deal with the anger that keeps bubbling up within me? How do I correct this stuff in my mouth? Well, I want to give you what I think is the best way to purify your language, and that is through praise. Because... because when you praise, it's really hard then to turn around and be awful with your mouth. And the opposite is true. If you're being awful with your mouth, you're, you're going to have a really difficult time praising God. The, the people that I find that are, that are most vulgar with their mouths aren't good at praising God. And the people that are the best are the best worshipers. Because this primes the pump. And what you want to do is if you want to purify the speech, fill your life, fill your heart, fill your house, fill your car with praise, because praise will speak the purest thing to God, and He will cleanse your mouth, and He will wash it, and He will forgive you of all the things that you've spoken in the past, and He'll make your mouth life-giving. 